We're going to continue our uh, study in John chapter 5. And so if you would find your place there, John chapter 5. And I want to begin by telling a story to all of the children. Where's all of the children? All of the children, are you listening? Raise your hand. All of the children, raise your hand. All right. So listen up. Listen up. If, if, you're, if you're a child and you're paying attention, say amen. I don't hear the children. Are, you, are the children out there? Oh, okay, okay. I, I hear something over here. <laughs> Praise God. So listen up. I have a story for you. There was a man who had been sick for 38 years. He spent most of his days lying on a mat near the pool of Bethesda, hoping to be healed. Many people would come to the pool hoping to be the first to enter when the water stirred, which was believed to be when an angel came and healed the first person who entered the pool. One day, Jesus visited the pool. And he saw the man lying on his mat. Jesus asked the man if he wanted to be healed. And the man explained that he had no one to help him into the pool when the water stirred. Filled with compassion and mercy, Jesus instructed the man to pick up his mat and walk. The man was healed immediately. And he got up, walked away. The man was overjoyed and could not believe what had happened to him. He knew that Jesus had saved him from his illness and given him new life. When the religious leaders saw the man carrying his mat on the Sabbath, they became angry and asked him, who healed him? The man did not know who it was, but later Jesus found him and revealed himself as the one who had healed him. The man fell to his knees and worshipped Jesus, recognizing him as the Savior who had given him a new life. Jesus had not only healed his physical body, but also had given him the opportunity to experience salvation and new life in him. So this story is a reminder that Jesus is the Savior who offers healing and mercy and salvation to all who would come to him. No matter how long we have been suffering or what struggles we face, Jesus is there to offer us hope and new life in him. So let us come to Jesus with childlike faith, trusting in his compassion and, and mercy, and let him heal and transform us. Amen? Let us now turn to John chapter 5, the reading of God's word. 
All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen? John chapter 5. And this there was, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and Walk, And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, the man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more. That nothing worse will, uh, nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Let us pray and ask God's help. Oh, Lord and our God, how we thank you for your word. We know that your word is effective, and we know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We pray, Lord, that you would change us now, empty us out that we might receive your word, help us to receive it with clarity and understanding, help us to leave here with peace on our minds and in our hearts, overjoyed with the comfort and the confidence your word gives. Help us, dear Lord, for we need you, for without you we can do nothing. We pray, Lord, that your will be done at this time, at this hour, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled the sermon, The Mercy Miracle at Bethesda. I have four points. 
Point number one, the context. Point number two, the conversation. Point number three, the confrontation. And point number four, the challenge. Again, the context, the conversation, the confrontation, and the challenge. Point number one, the context. So according to verses one and two, the location is Jerusalem. Verses one through five, we see it there. Verse one, and after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So the context begins with the location where everything took place. Next was the timing of everything. And according to John, all of this happened during the time of the feast. And verse 2 gives a bit more detail, stating in verse 2, Now there, were, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. The sheep gate is located on the northeastern side of Jerusalem near the pool called Bethesda. It must have been a large place. Imagine a large place with a pool because the text says many people were there. Multitude, a multitude of people were there and they would come there in hopes to be healed. And in verse 3 it says, in these lay a multitude of invalids. Some were blind. Some were lamed and some were paralyzed. A great multitude of people with all kinds of problems waiting in hopes that the water would change their lives forever. Are you waiting for a particular change to come your way? Are you Wanting something to happen in your life that might bring about change. We must realize that God may use our infirmities to build our faith. So we must not rush to push away the difficulties that we face, but rather we must ask God, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to know? How can I grow in all of this? What do you want me to believe? What do you want me to do? Lord, I'm yours. Have your way with me. So that place was a large, it was like a large hospital. But they weren't, they weren't using the medical technology that we use today. They were hoping that superstitious things would happen. The water would be stirred. And all the people were believing that something strange would happen in the water and they would be completely healed. Now, next I want to point out that there is no verse 4 according to earlier manuscripts. So if you have verse 4 in your copy of the scriptures, that's likely a note 
from a scribe that tried to help the scriptures, if you would, to be more ambiguous. So as far as I can tell, this happened hundreds of years ago based on a later manuscript. So based on the earlier copies, I won't be addressing verse 4 because we know better now that verse 4 was probably a note that was added to the text over time. So in your copy, you might have brackets at the end of verse 3 and all of verse 4. But if you have an ESV copy, you don't have to bother because it's not there. And this goes for some of the other versions as well. The ones affected are the King James Version, the the New King James Version, and the NASB. But don't worry, we can verify these things. We still have reliable copies of God's Word. It's just that one of the scribes was trying to do us a favor. (laughs) He was trying to help. But thank God we have these documents to check and balance across manuscripts, even though we shouldn't consider verse 4 a part of the canyon. Verse 7 does indicate that some superstition was going around because the, the man seemed to believe that something would happen if he got into the pool. So something's there. So maybe he got a little bit ambitious. And tried to help us out. So let's consider for a moment verse 5, which states, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Can you imagine not being able to move your limbs for 38 years? I'm not sure if all of his body was, was like that, but whatever it was, it, it would have been hard and difficult. Isn't it sad to see someone whose body is so limp that doing anything is a burden? There is no normalcy with having to carry around dead weight. That changes everything. It lessens the quality of Life. The man was living a lame life, which could have been filled with complaining or comparing himself to others. It could have led to times of depression. However, this man felt the Lord saw him. The Lord, out of all the people, laid eyes on This man, the scripture says that many people were everywhere with all kinds of diseases, but the Lord is is looking around and he catches the eyes of the one man. And so point number two, it says that they have a conversation The crippled man's inability to help himself, he was able to realize this more and more through a conversation with the Lord. 
Verse 6 says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? What? (laughs) Can you imagine? I wonder what he was thinking, right? I've been laying around this pool for 38 years, and you're going to ask me, Do I want to be healed? What do you think he asked that question, do you want to be healed? It it could have been seen as disrespectful, but remember that the Lord is on a mission. All of the meetings that he has is with purpose. So we saw that when he said, I must go through Samaria, right? We saw that, we saw that at a wedding when the water was turned into wine. The Lord is always on mission. Sometimes he says things to get our attention. Maybe the Lord is trying to get your attention today. Do you want to get well spiritually do you want to grow in the knowledge and in the grace of our God the sick man answered sir I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred and while I am going another steps down before me Jesus asked the invalid If he wants to be healed, this man responds with his limitations. He don't he don't know who's talking to him. He says what he cannot do. And we see people like that when we share the gospel with them and they're still intending to do something to save themselves. But but here, in addition to this man who's depending on himself, it also sounds like the man is lonely too. I don't I don't have anybody. No one's around to help me. And as I'm trying, someone always steps in front of me. The man seems to be lonely and hopeless. The reality is sometimes God has to make us understand that without him, we have no chance. And so we can, we can feel the hopelessness of the man. We can feel the man's hurt. Sir, I don't have anybody to help me. Have you ever felt like that before? No one's around, no one to assist you, lonely, as if no one is listening. We can relate to feelings like that. 
hopelessness, facing a seemingly impossible circumstance. Have you ever felt like the need was too great? The man often reflected. He would have reflected on the 38 years of no movement. No movement. No help. And in an extreme case of loneliness, I wonder if someone here today struggles with loneliness and anxiety. I wonder if someone here today feels helpless like the man. It sounded like he was still trying to put forth some effort to heal himself and sometimes We try to do the same thing. We try all of the human standards that we can try. We try to press in all of our human abilities because of who we think we are or what we think we have. We have to remember that we are not our own anymore, been bought with the price. So we belong to the Lord. And so everything that we do, we ought to be bringing it before the Lord, our God. He is Lord over everything. And so, are you helpless Trying to earn your way to a good life. Do you feel like you are weak and crippled by this life? Do you feel like Jesus can help us with those feelings when we turn to him? Of course he can. The question is, are we trusting in him? When we hear the master's voice, we too can get up take up our beds, and walk. The Lord spoke life into the man, and he heard and obeyed the Lord. He obeyed the master's voice. He realized that he was thinking about things in the wrong way. He felt that to receive God's grace, he had to earn it, It was not a matter of achieving. It was a matter of believing. Salvation is not a matter of achievement. It's a matter of believing. So will you listen to the voice of God when he speaks to you, when he speaks to us in his word? Today we have the word and his word is powerful. Will we believe God today? Will you believe it? Will you trust him with your life, all of it, and more importantly, your soul? Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Jesus spoke to the man and commanded according to his own authority authority and enabling power, he told the man, get up and walk. His command 
revealed his control over dead limbs. It, it, it reminded, it, 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 it helped the man to understand that he could not do it by himself. He realized his inability. And so, we see here that the man recognized the control that God had. Jesus came for the purpose, purpose of honoring and obeying the Father's will. Turn with me in Luke uh, chapter 19 for a moment. And here Jesus, verse 10, Luke 19, 10, Jesus revealed precisely what he came to do. Remember, we talked about Jesus being on mission. And in Luke 19, 10, we see these words, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And so as as you move about throughout the scriptures, I, I want you to remember this. So it doesn't make sense if God is sovereign when someone says that they have free will. Because the last time I checked, God's sovereignty always trumps everything. The will of man is bound by sin, and a man by nature sins. So how can a man truly be free if man's will is bound, if it's been corrupted? Man cannot free himself. How can a dead man who is wrapped up in sin free himself spiritually? Man cannot free himself. So to say that someone can save themselves without a spiritual awakening is foolishness. We wouldn't do that in the natural realm. We would never attempt to speak to a man who had been clearly flatlined and is considered dead. Whoever would do that, we would think that they are a fool. But it's interesting that man thinks that he can somehow wake himself up spiritually. The scripture says that we've been born into sin. Dead, we've been born. Dead in trespasses and in sin. So, dead is dead, amen? To be spiritually dead is the same as saying a person... uh, is who is sick and lame, who cannot walk, just telling them to get up or to heal themselves. To be outside of Christ, living in sin without the forgiveness of God is equivalent to the man's inability to get up and make himself walk. Because the whole world was born into sin, man naturally opposes God. That means that relationship from birth was already severed. Sin results from the fall of man and the whole human race. So, how can a dead man make himself alive? 
to be outside of Christ, living in sin without God's forgiveness is equivalent. Man cannot help himself. Man is born into sin. Sin results from the fall of man and the whole human race. In other words, sin is universal. Everyone on the face of the earth has been affected by sin, have been affected by the fall. It touches everything and it touches everyone. All human beings sin and are guilty before a holy and righteous God. We see this in Romans 5.19, which states, For as by the one man's disobedience in reference to Adam, one man's disobedience, Adam is our federal head. He is the one who represents us as the human race. It says, the many were made sinners. That's how we're born into the world sinful. It's because we are the seed of Adam. And if his seed has been corrupted, we are corrupted. And our seed is corrupted. We're trying to say, we're not saying that man is totally evil. We're just saying that there's enough corruption there to disqualify us from entering the kingdom of God. We're going to need help. And the text tells us that there is help. It comes through the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, so by the one man's obedience. That's the Lord, the one who was faithful, the one who did everything according to the Father's will. The one where there is no sin. Him. The mediator. The one who is able to bring us life. The one who is able to awaken us because of his own righteousness. The one who is able to take our sin upon himself and die on a cross and then transfer his righteousness to us, freeing us legally, giving us all rights and privileges as a child of God. That's where we are as believers. That's the beauty of the one who have come to save and to seek the loss. Jesus is the only one who is qualified to save sinners from sin. That's what he came to do. No one else can do it. He's on mission. Jesus alone is the only one qualified to give an acceptable offering to God the Father without participating in sin himself. That's why the high priest, when he would go into the, uh, um, the holies of holies in representing the people, They had to tie a belt around him. They had to put a bell on it just in case he went in the holies of holies with sin. They would have to pull him out of there because you must go before God holy. And our Lord represents that in being the great high priest who went to the throne of God 
and gave an offering on our behalf so that we might be saved and it might be finished. So every person that ever lived on the face of the earth cannot mediate between themselves and God because they are unqualified. Jesus is the only one qualified to deal with sin because he's blameless. And that's why he's able to say, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if anyone thinks that they are without sin, they reject the truth of Scripture and put themselves in opposition against God and his final word. Now listen to what the Scriptures teach in relationship to every human minus Christ who ever lived on the face of the earth. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Genesis 6, 11 and 12, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Ecclesiastes seven twenty. surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. First John 1.10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so for us to think that we can somehow enter the kingdom of God on our own without sin is foolishness. And we oppose God. Now listen to what the scripture says about the Lord in contrast to ourselves. In Hebrews 4, verse 15, for we do not have a, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 1 Peter 2, verse 20, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Isaiah 53, 9, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see the difference between man and God? You see how we're disqualified and God is qualified? And so here it is. Jesus shows this man mercy. Look at verse 9 again. It states, and that once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Did you notice the effectiveness of God's word? Right? It, it was immediately, right? The, the text says, and at once. 
right? We can almost feel the power of God, the power of his word. It was instantaneous. That man went from zero to a hundred. This man was crippled who had dead weight and then he began feeling the energy in his limbs and he knew that it was time and that he could walk. This poor crippled man was healed in an instant. And we must go with that kind of fate. That whatever trouble, whatever difficulty we might have, we must remember that in an instant God could change it all. That's the kind of hope. That's the kind of boldness we want to have because we know our God. We know that he's capable. We know that he's able. And so we can say, if the Lord will. Lord, I'm on your team. Um, I want to work alongside you. And so this, this man began to gain strength in his limbs. And, and in wonder and excitement, he knew he was healed. It was one of those out of nowhere moments. What? It was one of those I can't believe it right we can almost feel it right it was one of those this is crazy right but no matter the moment this man chose to believe the words of Christ and because of his faith and obedience he experienced the powerful wonderful Word working in his life, and he was healed. He exercised faith. This man was now whole through and through, and everything changed. Everything. Now, we've read about the man's response, but what about others? This next point reminds us that not everyone would appreciate what God is doing in you. Right? People will say all kinds of things because of who you represent. When we get to talking about the Lord Jesus and how good he's been to us, people don't always be feeling you. Right? People will say things that are in opposition mainly to the Lord. That's the main problem, and we see this even now. And so the next point reminds us that there's going to be some confrontation when we come to the truth of God's word. There are going to be some critics. So here it is. This man had the greatest thing that ever happened to him in his life. And then there still is someone on the sidelines telling him it should have never happened. Listen to how the critics confront this man after he's been healed. Uh, they didn't celebrate with him. I they, they, they found something wrong. They didn't, they didn't encourage him. They found something wrong. 
So they're trying to make this man feel guilty. Listen to verse 10 again. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. What? These Jews demanded that man tell them who it was that healed them. Who who did it? Who did this to you? You're not supposed to do that. Who did this? And they wanted this man to know that he had broken their laws. They wanted him to know that it was illegal to carry a sleeping mat on the Sabbath, no matter what happened to him. It was banned in their minds, and that's final. In other words, you are working and you're not supposed to do any work? Can you imagine living in that legalistic world? There's no freedom in that. You can't do this. You can't do that. And that's why the scripture teaches us that the law of God was not meant to free us. The law rather locks us in and tells us that you've done this wrong, you've done that wrong, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. It exposes us and helps us to realize that we're falling. But that's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is able to cut free, cut us free because of what Christ has done. And it's only by his grace that we're able to be set free. And the scripture teaches us that those whom the Son sets free shall be Free indeed. We, we must live in that freedom. Listen to the man's defense. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. In other words, if you have a problem, don't talk to me about it. That man told me to get up. I got up and I walked. <laughs> That's between you and him, Right? And so, I know that's the kind of stuff I would say, like, bro, you're not taking this back. <laughs> 38 years? What? what? I will blow you away. <laughs> so, in other words, the man was trying to say, I-, I don't know what to do. The man told me to walk, and so I got up and walked. What am I supposed to do? Lay there for another 38 years? I don't think so. Right? So they pressed him harder. Listen to what they said in verses 12 and 13. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in that place. I don't know where he's at. I just know he told me to get up. I know for for some years I've been coming to the pool of Bethesda. The man pointed me out. He asked me a few questions. He told me to get up and walk. At this point, the man had no idea who he was talking to or who it was that healed him. At this point, Jesus had drifted into the crowd. This leads us to our final point, point number four, the challenge. 
That's found in verses 14 through 16. In verse 14, it states, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple. Right? That's where you're supposed to be. When you have something, you better find yourself to the If anything happened to you that amazes you and you know that it's only God, why wouldn't you want to be in his house among his people? That changes everything. So here we see this man, it is not different with him. This man was found in the temple. And the Lord said to him, see, you're well. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. The Lord challenges the man to stop sinning and live righteous before God. Now, he, he could have did something that caused him to be in that state. And maybe the Lord was reminding him, don't, don't go back. Could you find yourself in a worse state? But here we're reminded that this man seems to have responded well to what the Lord had done in his life. The scripture records that this man was found in the temple after he met the Lord and was healed. He didn't take the blessing of God and never return for worship. When something happened to you by God, he deserves worship. Right? He deserves to be adored. He deserves to be given thanks. He deserves the honor and the glory that is due his name. That's why we come. That's why we're here. Every day we recognize the reality of what God is doing to us, in us, and for us. And who are we to do nothing? It don't add up. How can your life be turned upside down and there is no movement, there is no praise, there is no honor, there is no glory? It can't happen. Fate moves us. We see it in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. By faith, boom, by faith, boom, by faith, boom, by faith, boom. They did things by faith. Trusting God. So, this man essentially would go to church. He would worship. He wasn't spiritually lame anymore. He was alive. He was alive. He was actively moving about as a witness before the people. I bet you he was walking around. Yeah, y'all see me? <laughs> yeah, I'm not that dude anymore. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not him. Something happened to me. I would tell you about it. If you want to talk about it, we can talk about it. Salvation requires a change in relationship between God and man. The Lord Jesus transforms us and gives us a new nature, bringing us a renewed right relationship with God from his work upon the cross. And by faith, we obey God and live unto Christ, our Savior and Lord. And in obedience to the Father, when the Lord Jesus Christ saves us, we are given access to God. 
Romans 5, 1 and 2 tells us that therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have also obtained access by faith. Watch this now. Into his grace. Y'all understand that? The grace of God that is freely given. He says we have access. There are no limitations. That's beautiful. In other words, that's like having a fast car with no brakes. (laughs) I'm just talking about fun. I'm just talking about appreciating God for what he has done for us. The reason why we can have peace with God is because Jesus brought that peace and made peace. His works on the cross accomplished this when he died for sin once and for all. Our access to God brings with it the highest privilege one can have, which brings us confidence and joy in being satisfied with things relative to the future and the things that are happening on a regular basis. We can sleep in sweet peace if we trust God for everything that is relative to this life and the life to come. We can sleep. But we must also remember what the Lord says to the once crippled man for 38 years. He is challenged by the Lord when he states, sin no more. Sin no more that nothing worse will happen to you. This warning, as we all know, doesn't stop with this man, but it challenges us and it commands us today because God's word is still relevant. That's a good word. Because if we want good things to happen, we must understand where's the out of bounds. We want to stay in the game between the lines. We want to reach our goals. We want to reach the end. We want to run through the tape. We don't want to be disqualified on the basis of ignorance, on the basis of disobedience. And so we can relate to this warning. This is a good word. It worked in Jerusalem. It worked in the first century A.D. And it is still working today in the 21st century. The man seemed to have taken the Lord's advice. However, look at verse 15. It states the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. In other words, the man he said, how? I'm going to tell. At first, I didn't know. I didn't know who healed me. You better believe people are going to know. This man testified as to it who it was that healed him. And that's an excellent response. You won't ever be the same when Jesus gets a hold of you. You will be amazed and delighted. Listen to the witnesses of the crowd, crowds who heard him teach in Matthew 7, verses 28 and 29. There it states, and when Jesus finished these sayings, he was teaching the crowds. The crowds were astonished at his teachings, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. They were like, 
wow, this is amazing. Then in addition to amazement will come faith, thankfulness, witnessing to others, repentance, obedience, and worship. Finally, let's read verse 16. And you could tell me if this is a proper response for anyone who has encountered the Lord. We saw the excitement. We saw the amazement. Again, we're coming back to the critics. We're coming back to those who disbelieve. We're coming back to those who want nothing to do with the Lord. So because the Lord healed a man crippled for 38 years on the Sabbath, they now wanted to kill him. Verse 16, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. They did not rest until eventually they killed the Lord. The Lord, but this was all his plan. He said, no one takes my life, but I give it up freely. Remember the mission. He's come to give his life so that we might be saved. So the Lord would often face criticism, complaining, and plotting because he was considered a threat to the religious and political systems. When we do what's right, when we do according to the will of God, we become a threat. People noticed it. They knew he would expose their sins. Christians would face opposition from all sorts of groups. It can come from family. It can come from friends. It can come from people on your jobs. It can come from people within the church and those claiming to be Christians. Generally speaking, people hate Christ and his word. They hated him then and they hate him today. We too were enemies of God until the gospel came to us. And by faith, we believe the message of the cross and mercy came and met us. And we haven't been the same ever since. Thank God for the mercy that happened to us. The mercy that was given to us. God showed us mercy in our salvation and he continues to show us mercy in our sanctification. So thank God for the mercy miracle. He healed us from, sickness, from the sickness of sin. Sin no longer has a hold on us. We've been set free. And now we can live. In conclusion, the passage, this passage shows us that Jesus is the son of God and has the power to heal the sick, and save the lost. It also reveals the importance of faith in Jesus as the Messiah and the need to obey his commands. The response of the Jewish leaders to Jesus' healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda shows the danger of legalism and the rejection of God's grace. As Christians, we should follow Jesus' example of compassion and love toward those in need and boldly proclaim the truth of the gospel even in the face of persecution. Remember that though this man was healed of his infirmity, his greatest need was a redeemed heart. 
a redeemed heart. And that's more important than just being physically healed because our souls have far greater value than the outward man that is perishing day by day. Jesus said it like this, would profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? We have to prioritize our lives according to what God has said in his word. That means we take everything and we place it under the sovereignty of God. And we say, Lord, do with it whatever you will. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Help us to apply it daily for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.